and welcome to the Eastern Kicks podcast, a fortnightly magazine program about East Asian film, led by me, Andrew Heskins, founder and grandmaster of EastonKicks.com, and James Mudge, our leading writer. Each episode, we'll be taking a look at the latest films, news, and festivals, and often chatting to filmmakers and stars along the way. Welcome to our very first episode. We heard that the kids were doing this thing called a podcast. So about two decades later, we thought we'd clamber onto that bandwagon and see what all the fuss is about. Later on in this episode, we'll be taking a look at Ip Man 4 and chatting about some upcoming releases in what can only be called a shameless plug and also some other things that you might find on streaming services. But for this first episode, we thought we'd introduce ourselves and answer a question we get asked an awful lot. Just how do we get into Asian film in the first place? Mm. Now, before I get started... Um, I should explain what we like to do is have a good natter over a drink. <laughs> Future episodes may well take place in our local. Yes. Speaking of which, what are you drinking this episode, James? Um, well, since nobody can see me, I, I would say I'm drinking a very fine uh, cask throat Lafourig with one cube of ice. But uh, as you in can reality. see, in reality, I'm drinking the famous grouse. Not the finest, but it's okay. And yourself? And for me, um, it's leftover from Christmas. It's a. It's from... The Howling Hops, uh, nice. hashtag sponsorship available. <laughs> uh, and it's appropriately called World Shot. Bourbon barrel aged Imperial Strout, 13%. 13%. So there's a great opportunity that I might not make it to the end of the episode. <laughs> that is a very, very dark beer, I would say. That does look something like uh, an evil version of Pepsi. We will also be doing a partnership uh, broadcast where we discuss beers and uh, no we probably won't but that sounds like we're going into it there cheers (laughs) so let's get started what what got us into asian film Mm. and for me it was definitely a couple of things i saw when i was about five six um and going into eight so this is in the mid 70s to the late 70s um and there were two programs that were on bbc2 and this is for the youngsters won't even believe this, but those days when there were only three channels. <laughs> um, and they were both actually the same. So there was one called The Water Margins mm. that was based on um, the classic novel The Water Margins, mm-hmm. um, also known as Outlaws of the Marsh. And a little later on, the one that people tend to remember is Monkey. Mm-hmm. Um, again, another classic Chinese novel. Known as Journey to the West as well. Yeah. And um, it was, uh, they both were done by Nippon TV. Mm-hmm. Um, quite high budget for the time. I think they were quite a, a, a big budget TV series from Japan. Um, rather incongruously Japanese, based on classic Chinese novels. And um, on top of that, uh, they were dubbed into English <laughs> and put on primetime te- television. They were dumped by people who um, were, were people like uh, Marjorie yeah. um, uh Manuel from Forty Towers. <laughs> um, just reasonable kind of actors. They weren't necessarily done in what could now be terms of a particularly politically correct way. There were some no. quite terrible accents going on. Um, at least the water margin had an introduction that had per quok. So the thing of it, they were on in quite prime time positions. So I remember, and I do, and I, and my parents were pretty irresponsible. So they let me stay up quite late. 
Um, some of my earliest memories of television were being allowed to stay up late and watch the horror double bills on BBC Two. Doctor Terror, House of Horror, such mm, like. Yeah, was that it was one of the, one? there was the yeah. the Oliver Reed werewolf one. I remember watching that. <laughs> um, so at this uh, sort of similar time, maybe a little bit later, you know, I, uh, they would allow me to stay up and watch um, the goodies would be on at nine pm on BBC Two. Also, Ripping Yarns had the same time slot. I can't say I don't know that one. Which is Michael Palin. Okay, fair enough. From Monty Python. Yeah. And the water margins mm. would be on straight after. Yeah. So actually, when all you've got going on is news and various other programs, then it was quite, quite prime time. And I really got into it. I think, you know, what I didn't pick up on was all the influence from a lot of the... I think more so, less from, from, from Japanese cinema, but more so from the Shaw Brothers films. Because mm. the Shaw Brothers had done... Yeah, both monkey yeah, and uh, water margin. Um, so that kind of wuxia vibe, mm. really. I started to think, well, this is this is quite cool. I'm quite into this. Later on, uh, I think monkey was obviously much more played for laughs. It's kind of a bit of overlap with some of the same cast members, obviously in very different roles. And yeah, I just I just really liked it. And then, and I guess for me, I remember. You couldn't avoid Bruce Lee in the seventies, particularly. Mm, that's true. Um, you know, he was there everywhere, and um, you'd see his his poster, and <coughs> you'd see his poster in in Saturday Night Fever, and stuff. Mm, yeah. you know, he would he was he was there. But and I remember I had a couple of poster magazines, but I don't think I ever saw magazines. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a throwback. Yeah, I don't remember actually seeing any of his films. Until the eighties, when video started mm. in the eighties, and I really, I remember really not liking them very much because they were very, very badly dubbed. This is when mm. um, the big boss was called Fists of Fury, and Fists of Fury was oh, called the Chinese it Connection. Was, it was very confusing, and you still had Fists of Fury too, which was something. I thought, else I, I, I think I, I thought Enter the Dragon was was okay, but yeah. but that wasn't. He was not an entry point into me actually. Mm being into Asian cinema but it was into it was one Channel 4 started which was 82, 83 I think so uh, years into it they started showing they still started showing Asian cinema I remember them having Tetsuro on um, really? Okay. yeah in the late I think it was in the late 80s mm. which was even now is quite a baffling film to watch but then we've had no <laughs> nothing to compare it with yeah. um, was quite batshit crazy but it was really when there was a season of uh, films called The Chinese Ghost Story mm. on Channel 4 late night I think they were after midnight during Christmas they are all presented by Jonathan Ross when he mm. still had a modicum of credibility <laughs> long time ago long time ago and just really enjoying them and you know just just there, I remember they had Zoo of the Warriors from Magic Mountain. Mm. There was Mr. Vampire. Yeah. And there was Rouge. And I always kind of quote Rouge as being like the, that, the point where I just decided that, yes, for me, Hong Kong cinema had everything that I would want to watch, that yes. I would want to see in a film. Yeah. Um, because the Rouge had a lot more intelligence. You know, it's very different. Yeah, a yeah, intelligence to it. Yeah, I think a lot of people go back to Rouge hearing that it's a ghost story mm. um, or during, you know, the cast and everything they expect something quite different from it but it's it's very different to the other ones at the at the time for sure and just you know and and, and there was something I, I think for me i could just tell there was something for everyone so you had the kind of 
you had the zoo warriors from magic mountain was kind of very much calling back to, to kind of monkey madness yeah. uh mr vampire you had sort of this kind of martial arts thing but lots of great physical oh, yeah. comedy yeah, just going still. through um, you know, and then rude with the kind of intelligence and this kind of almost kind of taken, yeah, beautifully it's shot. You know, I mean, that's, Warehouse type. you know, I mean, that's why it was such a, a big deal for me when, when, you know, as, as a member of the, the Chinese visual festival team, we, Ooh. we got to bring Stanley Kwan. That was amazing. Yeah. Um, over and, and Screen Rouge, you know, mm-hmm. but that, that's the film that really got me into it. And then they would just carry on, they were doing Fong Shou Yuk mm-hmm. uh, films, you know, the, um, they had various Jackie Chan police mm. story you know all these films that they were screening on a regular basis and it was more that than I don't really necessarily have access to video I think at that yeah. point um, and the releases wherever they were going on probably into the mid 90s and some of that will be laser discs rather than <laughs> <laughs> laser discs there we go rather than uh, VHS <laughs> it took a few minutes before you mentioned laser disc at least <laughs> I mean that was what started it, and then I got yeah. I got interested into Japanese cinema, and then yeah. the, the, the noughties, the late nice early noughties. You start there's, there's all the Korean cinema and mm. you know, Filipino and all that. And it just kind of spread through kind of looking at East Asian cinema, but it was definitely kind of Hong Kong cinema that got me into it. Yeah, really got me into it in the first place. Is that about you, James? Well, sure. I mean, and being. Um only slightly younger and everything. I still call. You know, I still remember seeing the uh, you know the Hong Kong Ghost ones on Channel Four, and I'd seen Drunken Master before that. And I guess Drunken Master was the first one. And it, you know, I enjoyed it very much. Obviously, it was the the fantastic English dubbing, one of the early versions of it. So um, you know, it wasn't my favorite film, but I think probably when it shifted was early nineties. I guess mm-hmm. uh, when John Woo did Hard Target. With all the you know JCVD, uh, I mean obviously other people had been over like Ringo Lam had done some stuff over before that, with um, in the states before, uh, was that before Hard Target? Or was that after Hard Target? I think it was after. Maybe it was after. Yeah. But um, mm. Hard Target was the first one, uh, mm. and it was kind of partly because at the time I was very into the whole like uh, UK video nasties type of thing. So I was doing a lot of uh, it's not, it's a strange thing to say is it like tape trading, you know, <laughs> which again y- younger people are going to be like no no but. Trading VHS tapes at car boot sales, everything like that, to get hold of like the old Italian it horror films. It was really a thing in the nineties as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. in the early nineties it was get, huge still. You know, and there'd be copies of copies of copies. And that's absolutely. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Facts are probably listening to this and they're writing <laughs> our names down right now. Uh, no, and, and there'll be a knock at the door. Change the tracking to try and pretend <laughs> yourself it was an okay copy. Some old fool. It never really. It never really. Helped, zombie flesh eaters, whatnot. So, uh, so of course, I mean, it's another discussion. But there is a beauty of watching those films and that, and that kind of really dirty, yeah, badly tracked kind of video with all the lines going across and. <laughs> But in those old days, I mean, that still kind of led into the Asian cinema stuff as well. I mean, with uh, Hard Target being produced by Sam Ramai. So that's, uh, you know, obviously the Evil Dead. So that's kind of one of the reasons I kind of got onto that. And then from then, Hard Boiled came out, which I actually did manage to see uh, in the cinema, I think in the GFT in Glasgow a long time ago. From there, I rediscovered. That was the first of his films I actually saw properly. It was the first of his Hong Kong films. Mm-hmm. I saw The Killer, Better Tomorrow afterwards which were, you know, obviously great, but, you know, still at that time being a very horror, well, kid, I guess, but 14, 15, <laughs> so, t- horror teenager, I guess. Uh, you know, from that, I kind of, some people started talking about this mysterious thing called the Bun Man, like, the f- is the Bun Man? And they're like, oh, this, you know, forget your Fulci and Argento, this is like, a, this is the most, you know, bizarre and horrible thing you're going to see. And 
course, turned out to be the untold story, mm-hmm. uh, which I managed to get like a 10th generation video copy of from somewhere, <laughs> which is probably even worse than the, the DVD I still have of it. So um, it's nice to know that somebody is bringing out or has brought out like a remastered version recently. I think that's in Germany, though. In Germany? Yeah, okay. last year or year before it's, it's come out. That's right. Um, so yeah, Sadly, no one's picked it up for the UK market. Probably because we couldn't pass any any form of censorship. I, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't, I don't, uh, I'm not necessarily sure that the, the British censorship is any worse or, or less strict than Well, that's German. true. No, that's a fair point. German is a lot, but with British, there's no chance that would get passed. Even, I mean, it didn't even get past Hong Kong censorship properly. They, they cut a lot. Um, but from there, yeah, and after... Uh, that, you know, to Dr. Lamb, and then on to tracking down the most mysteriously named thing of all time, the guinea pig, and everything, getting that on tape when I was, you know, 15 or 16 or something. So, And from there, thankfully matured a lot more <laughs> into, into watching a wider variety of stuff rather than just kind of like the hardcore horror ones. But it was, it was the kind of horror connection through to John Woo, I guess. Um, and then kind of going back into the martial arts stuff and rediscovering the Chinese ghost stuff, uh, which you're talking about. And um, yeah, the, I think part of it is just seeing like the huge variety of stuff which is kind of out there. Mm. Uh, more, I think, sometimes than uh, certainly at that time period, there was more of a variety than there was in Western cinema. So, and I think that's what got me as well then. But the hardcore gore connection, I guess, is where mm. it started on that. And I think that's you know that's that's where we were. That's where we started. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then kind uh, of, I mean, for me, my day job is a graphic designer, but I quite mm. often bore people with <laughs> sure uh, my passion them. for Asian film. Yeah. And uh, well, no, I think I did actually. But you know, and then somebody said to me, "Why don't you put this on the web?" You know, yeah. it was a start. It was a noughties. It was the start of you know the, the real kind of <laughs> the web, whole, the whole oh web thing. <laughs> and then I thought, actually, you know, it's not a bad idea. And that's that's yeah. where EasternKicks.com started. How long's it gone for Eastern Kicks now? It's uh, that's, not, that's not a plug. I genuinely can't yeah, remember. No, it's, it's, it's seventeen and a half years. I think seventeen and a half. Jesus. Yeah, July two thousand and two. Wow, that's incredible. Was that before, before or after Beyond Hollywood or something like that? You know, I, which I used to write for like a long, you know, way mm, back in a long defunct website. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure when Beyond Hollywood started. Probably about the same time, I I think. Probably. I, yeah. That's a long time. Man. Well, very yeah. nice. You know, there is very much a sense that I'm one of the last men standing. <laughs> and you see, you see these websites start, and, and you know, you, you know, lots uh, of people around when I started, mm. and then there was a whole whole lot of them started disappearing like Beyond Hollywood um, yes, you know is. and then I've been so, collecting yeah. up some of those people who were interested in Asian film yeah, yeah. Uh, various people and then you know I, I, there's ways of it and then new people new and that's how I was up. collected mm. well you were already going to write for us anyway weren't you uh, I, did, I met you like a screening of Dragon is that right Oh, it's a few times. There was a few that was the first time we yeah, had a proper chat yeah, about cinema yeah, and everything yeah. like that a screening of Dragon you know Wuxia Dragon that was the first, I'm pretty sure that was the first time we had a proper chat and got yeah. into the whole, you know, shared love of the <laughs> and the Asian cinema. We were mm. talking about the different cuts of the film mm. and everything that, which most of the other people there didn't seem particularly bothered or interested about. I still found very interesting. So, <laughs> still, yeah, I still find that baffling, but never mind. So now for one of our regular features, which will be taking a closer look at a recent release. Cool. 
And for this episode, we're going to take a closer look at Ip Man 4. <sighs> Where to start, James? Where to start? Um, so what did you make of it, you know? What did you think of Ip Man 4? Let's give it the full title. Colon. The finale. Is it the finale? I was going to say final. What was oh, the, the final? What? No, no, I think there was yeah. Ip Man 4, the final fight before, right? Mm, so which the finale I, f- I think this is the finale I think <laughs> no you're right I, I, this is the finale this, this is um, but I think there was spoiler before. alert and it will be difficult to come back from this for Donnie Yen at least well, why be, because during the whole film he was supposed to be seven, looking in his 70s and looks like he's 40 well, he, well I don't want to give anything away but he, he, <laughs> it does end on a sudden finale type point for We've completely spoiled. We've completely spoiled it for you. Forget you've said. We've for, said for, that. Yeah, and just forget the word finale because <laughs> yeah. you know it's not. You know it might not. And be there are the spin-offs with Master Z. And yes, so there are, which might be more interesting. But um, I mean, you know, this, there's nothing there to suggest it would still even be the final <laughs> film. You know, we will just all we need to do is flashback slightly. I mean, that's still one of the most bizarre things about this whole film, is that he's supposed to be you know elderly. And the same, and they be, and you should be in his seventies. Yes, yeah. early seventies yeah. or yeah. late sixties at best. And there's, there's zero. He's got a little bit of grey hair. Well, he's and got, he's, he's and, got two and, and Donnie's being quite two grey hairs. He's got two grey hairs, which I I would probably expect that Donnie's probably got by this time. He's you know yeah. he's, he's 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 you know he's not as young as he used to be. But the, the, but, but also and he's he's also his demeanour is. Even more subdued than uh, he has yeah. been previously. So somber as as it man. I know it's. I mean it, and it's. You know, having, having read so much, you know, about the the history of it man and what he's done and everything, it's just so much of it just doesn't bear that much resemblance, you know, visually or in terms of the plot to actually the story of it man. Still, so, so know. we should say what the story of it man for is before we go into kind of I can't talking remember, about man. I, honestly, um, he fought a bunch of very super angry white dudes <laughs> who all said how much they hated China, and he went and well, all are completely racist in the most cartoonist terms. Yeah, I really, and, I, and I, I should say, you know, you know, being like Scottish, like you know, I curse the English Empire, not the British Empire, but you know, it's um, but it, yeah, it's cartoonish, it's nonsense. I mean, it's like literally everything that comes out of their mouth is, my God, how much I hate Chinese people. Or, my God, I hate martial arts, but well, I love, also, ca- I I love mean, karate. The, the characters are played as, as being, you know, like properly racist against black people, against yeah, whatever. Yeah, there are all, all this kind of stuff going on. So, uh, as far as I understand it, so here we go. Here's the plot line. It's not massively <laughs> different from any of the previous Ip Man films. In a very convoluted way, our main man, Ip Man, um, ends up in San Francisco basically looking for a place for his kid to go to school. Mm-hmm. Um, his wayward kid, yeah. His wayward kid. I mean, what's quite interesting about this is... He's not very wayward, but yeah. He's not massively wayward. He just wants to lock himself in his, his bedroom. And, and if, if it wasn't the 60s, um, he would probably be on his iPad. Um, He'd be fine. Uh, watching YouTube videos. Um, but as far as I can see, the, the plot line is he goes to this school, wants to get him to this nice school, and then runs in with some racist Marines um, and then proves to them how amazing Chinese Kung Fu is versus what they seem to love, which is karate. Karate! And, and, and we, we, this has been <laughs> the ongoing... I mean, uh, at least in It Man 2, we had boxing. Um, it Man yeah, 3... It Man 1 and 2 are good. I mean, It Man 3... I mean, Mike Tyson, God bless him, he's as good... He's got the list. But he's as good in that as he is in uh, The Hangover, so... 
It's... I mean, he's obviously enjoying the the, the thing. I thought whereas, he was fine. And, and whereas it, in this honestly, one, we've got we've got Scott fine. Atkins and um, Chris Collins yeah. as it, a kind of lead lead kind just, of white bad guys. And they just yeah, it, it's like I say, man. You know, I, I'm the first person to say like you know having some condemnations of like colonialism or whatnot. It's fantastic. Yeah, white bad guys, <laughs> you know, Western bad guys. I mean, outstanding. I'm not against that, but they just every single thing is like ah, I hate China. Ah, I come through. It's just, it's, and it's very, very. I mean, like I say, it's very cartoonish, very simplistic. And I think you can make stuff like that actually properly powerful. But a lot of that is about the language that people oh, use yeah, and the way it's dealt with. Or you could rather just, than uh, just do a cartoonish thing and go, oh, but hang on. No, that's true. <laughs> or, Look at how amazing it can be. Yes. <laughs> or that kind of cartoonish stuff. Like if it was, I mean, I mean, there's two things there, I guess. Like, uh, I mean, one we have the Chinese national nationalistic angle, which is one thing, which I, I don't really. I don't have too much of a problem with compared to like Michael Bay films and everything, whatever. Put that to one side, yeah, but it's still like just the level of villainry. I mean, this is like sub DVD. I mean, this is like even Netflix would be like, oh my god, man, this is like, it's, it's nonsense, man. You know, if you're gonna have a proper villain who's you know some racist English or American army guy, totally fine. But don't just spend the whole film screaming at people and everything. And it's not the actor's fault, but. I, I do think, you know, on a, a producer kind of level, this comes down to still, like, having a script, probably, you know, translated into Chinese, with Chinese director and everything still. And it, it's, a, it's a very difficult process to actually make a film like this. But when you have a very big budget, comparatively film like this... Um, but or do you should expect to have a big budget? But they don't really care too much about, you know, the English market or the Western market for this one. It, it's Even though they have the Western people in there, this is still a film for the main in China. It, it feels like a throwback to... I mean, I... This was a uh, film for mainland China. Yeah, and, and the, no de- so no the Western acting... Which is okay, though. It's it's okay just because some of those guys are really throwing themselves into kind of being that yeah, role. But, it but it's, still a, quite, it's still quite... 90s-style Hong Kong. So I'm like, damn you Chinese pigs. And yeah. Kicked yeah, out a glass yeah, window. Yeah. yeah, which is... You know, it's kind of once upon a China, China free, kind of... Which I think is which is 100% fine. Like, uh, But I think with this film, like it, it comes with this kind of weird weight of... You know, it's still like quality or something mm. too. And if this was like a straight to DVD, straight, not DVD, straight to streaming, yeah, straight or whatever to streaming the equivalent film. is nowadays. It, we're it, old guys. Do again, Ryan. We're old guys. We don't necessarily we don't know these newfangled things. <laughs> <laughs> Give it to us on a VHS or a laser disc, you know, right? <laughs> but you know what I mean, though. Like, if this was one of those old school films, I don't think it'd be so much of a problem. But this is like it man for it has a big budget, the big stars. It's a you know, it's an international release and something. And I'm not saying for like even half a second that they should really care oh western audience will be offended by showing you know sort of western bad guy but you know you just I mean, at least make them like semi believable bad guys instead of just having them every single thing they scream is how much they hate China how much they hate Kung Fu it's you know it's a nonsense man while doing karate while doing karate <laughs> karate exactly and some of, some of the lines in there as well I mean um, you know without saying too much about working in like production and stuff like it is a very difficult thing where you have a script being shot by a co-production like between different countries and a different script and you know it's it is a tough thing but the lines in the film are nonsense it's just gibberish some of the stuff that you have the western characters actually saying and whereas you know when we look back on some of the stuff in the 90s and you know it's pretty funny seeing that stuff or seeing some of the subtitles and everything uh for this kind of film, they should have made more effort. Mm. There's literally no reason for them not to. It could have taken them 10 seconds. 
to find somebody like a Western production partner or somebody to actually, you know, come up with, okay, this is the right locations. Uh, this is, the, you know. Which is, you know, it's another point about this is that a lot of it is shot in the UK. Well, that's what I mean. Like most of it was shot in the UK in the end. And it's. Which is you know, in itself wanna... quite distracting. <sighs> Well, not for, you, for anyone from yeah. the UK, I mean, yeah, I don't want to rant too much about it, but as I, <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I might like, <laughs> but you no, know, it's it's like half of the film was a man cutting about in like a northern England, like Lancashire, and they have the whole scene, which is where, which is by the way meant to be San Francisco. Yes, that exactly. <laughs> it's supposed to be. This is supposed to be sunny San Francisco. We have it man cutting around like Lancashire, like you know, and you have a bunch of school kids coming over who are still wearing, like, you know, English school uniforms. And the yeah. secondary school is very... It does look like a kind yeah, of... A council 50s kind of secondary school. Yeah, exactly. It's not very convincing as, as something you would expect to see out in San Francisco. Worse, I, I mean, the standout scene for me is when they're on a bus. And I'm quite impressed. <laughs> the bus, yes. I'm quite impressed that they actually filmed the bus. They didn't find some stock footage from San Francisco. <laughs> Why? Yeah, why? Why not? Why? Why not? Get and also, they actually obviously shot dialogue on the buses <laughs> it was running along. But you watch it, and it is running along roads that look very quintessentially Northern England, yeah. brick walls via both sides. I mean, I think the other thing for me is it's San Francisco, and I'm thinking, where are the Hills. Where, where is the hills? Where's, where the, where's the sunshine? Where, where's the? Uh, well, they've got that know. little effect of doing all the kind of the, the post production and making it not look much. I mean, not particularly because every every it man film has that sort of slightly kind of green kind of cast that they they kind of put yeah, on the stuff. Which so, made sense previously, but not in this film. But in this one, it, it's just nonsense. Man. Yeah, I mean, it, it tries to put a bit of sun on there in the post production. Sun in Northern England. Yeah, yeah. There you go. The film. Audience was like eighty percent like uh, mainland China, which you know by all accounts has done very well. And so, um, why worry about the bunch of people in the UK yeah. who, who actually recognise the location or San Francisco possibly as well? Going what? The well, hell? sure, <laughs> exactly. Saying, wait, this is San Francisco, man. That's not San Francisco. It's Lancashire, lad. You know, no. So I, I agree with that. People didn't recognise it. Either way, it's a terrible. I think it was just film. It was in China. It's a terrible film anyway. So I, got, I mean, I got, yeah, I got but, nothing for but, that. But you know, very disappointed. I would say about it as well. I was looking forward to it. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, and I should say that it has quite a high rating it on does. IMDb at the moment. But even it's like, like 7.5, 7. mainstream 8. media all really reviewed it quite well, which I was pretty surprised by. Um, I, I, I can't see, I can't see why the the sort of fighting and tournament scenes are all very, very convoluted. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily think all the fighting is actually those fight scenes, which is what you watch these films for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that amazing? So I think like, with a lot of the so films, the finale fight is actually the most disappointing. It's like, but for these ones, I mean, at least it was Mike Tyson when he fought Tugum on Man. I mean, you know, this that was. Those, I mean, it wasn't I, 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 a, very a lot good of it seems to be about making dope. Scott Atkins look good rather than anybody. He's, other he's too angry. I mean, Scott Atkins is fine. <laughs> like, he's done a lot of good stuff, but in this, he's just like. Ah! The entire way through the goddamn film. Again. Even like where, where they shot some of those scenes, it just doesn't... None of it makes any sense in terms of like an actual... Why would you have a duel there? Why would you have... I mean, really? I mean, oh, this is just nonsense. It's, I mean, and also... I mean, it, I mean, it seems almost kind of redundant to say this, but any biographical accuracy is completely out of this equation. Two grey hairs. And I don't think any of these Ip Man films have been close to 
what actually happened. No, but the, the one and two were. I mean, well, one was still. No, I mean, not, not close. <laughs> not close, but it was what you would call like a nice biopic. Mm. I mean, of course, you're going to change the details, but one was dope for that. Mm. Two was still pretty good. Three was the cutoff point where they just went for something more commercial for the mainland audience and for an international audience. Mike Tyson won it, but it was still fun. It was not but a good if film, you want but it was a lot that, of fun. At the accuracy of this, I mean, I think the son that we're talking about that, as he's played in this film... Mm. Although it doesn't say it, I mean, it, it suggests it's one of his sons with his first wife. But we don't talk about... Of course. We, we don't we, actually talk about um, his mistress. Is. His mistress is. Well, yes, indeed. <laughs> but the main, you know, the yeah. main one. And, and I actually, with well. the age, I would think yeah. that this is actually the son of his mistress, not his actual... Because if, if this is, it, you know, I think uh, if it's who it's meant to be, then... They would be way too old to be looking at well, uh, secondary school, higher education in the states. It's um, and uh, you know, I mean, I, and I, and I accept, you know, what the hell does that do with an insane film? Every biographical film is no, no, stuff, I, I but this is that, so but... far away from anything real. And then to try and it, it really struggles to grasp at any kind of relevance by having at the very end going, oh, and then in the seventies. The U.S. Marines thought that Chinese martial arts were a good thing to that's do, right. and that's probably gotten. Would that have anything to do with the massive popularity of, of martial art films, you know, being sent yeah. out by people by studios like Warner Brothers and so on, um, acquiring them from Shaw Brothers, except and and Golden Harvest, and put them out in the early seventies, and the massive scene there was behind that, hmm, maybe more than there is behind um, It Man and this completely fictitious scene. That has absolutely well, no relevance. But, but he, he's, you know, he he spent a lot of the time, like obviously, fighting against you know other like uh, martial arts masters, even when he was in uh, San Francisco mm. and stuff. So no, it's like no, he never fought anybody apart from Scott Adkins. Oh, I even, I mean, it's just it's a shame because I, on the one hand, like you, you know, it, it's, I mean, Hollywood franchises are not exactly you know praiseworthy and everything, but. When we come to the franchise of this, which has been so popular ever, it's, I don't really want to be nasty about it, but it's just this this film was no. Uh, and I really wanted to like it as well. Mm. I'm genuinely looking forward to actually watching it, and oh man, I, I, I can't back it up. going to take a look at some of the new releases over the next couple of weeks right. um, and also stuff that I think that, 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 that we found on streaming services so yeah. um, should we kill uh, on streaming services by which we're mainly talking about Netflix and Amazon yeah, Dead Kids I guess was probably one of the most uh, interesting things we actually saw turning up recently which uh, the very very young Mikael had yeah, he's probably not quite so young as, well, as some you know, of your reviews have said. I don't know. He's still, well, still you know, sort of mid to late 20s, he, isn't he? Mid to late 20s? How dare you, sir? <laughs> my God. I'm, I'm in my early 30s for the record. <laughs> no, that's not true. But, um, well, no, no, but fantastic. Uh, yeah. I, I thought it was... Uh, tell me, tell us, what, what's the film about um, and what's good about it? Mean, it's that? kind of like a real-life uh, story, but, you know, it's like a kidnap caper uh you know with some young kids like you know social class divide and what, i don't want to say too much about it because it's 
it's got that kind of Hitchcock vibe where Ooh. things pro, you know progress in a very nice way mm. uh, and it's quite it's quite short it's quite taut you know mm. it's uh and for me, this is one of those... We, we do have, let's face it, we do have a bit of a sort of 90, 100-minute rule, don't we? Well, I think so. I, I would totally agree with that. Like, 90 minutes or four hours. That's it. Nothing mm. in between. Well, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean. But for this film as well, I, I think it's got a very nice kind of economic lens to it. Uh, the twists play it very nicely. It's uh, obviously not made on a very high budget. But it's, I don't know, it works very well for what it actually does. And I think Netflix is a great platform for it. Cause let's be honest, no one in the UK is going to buy that film. And, I mean, the thing is, he's a very, very consistent director. Everything he does is actually a... Oh, I wasn't crazy about Yuri, but... Um, but, you know, Birdshot and... But excellent film. You know, I mean, he's... he's no, been, no, I mean, uh, Yuri, it, sorry, I, mean, I feel a bit shit about saying that about Yuri, <laughs> but it was just, it was, but it's dope. I mean, like, uh, on the one hand, like, um, you know, for dead kids, it takes the... Uh, What's well, kind of a familiar plot and does something very fresh with it, I think. Uh, I think Yuri took um, a usual yeah. plot and, and kind of made it like a Philippines version of it, which is not a bad thing at all. But for general audiences seeing it on Netflix, it's not that different to stuff. Still a very solid film. But I think well most made. of his stuff's on Netflix, isn't it? I think Birdshot and... It is, um, and I think and, that's a fantastic uh, platform. Naomi um, Lilla and... and Yes, yeah. yeah, all great films as well. But, um, so I mean, yeah, we could definitely kind of recommend if you've got Netflix, then you should probably check out the whole back catalogue of Mickey and Red. It's it's de- we're not recommending de- we're not recommending Netflix directly, but we're no we're, we're recommending, recommending his work. <laughs> Mind you, hashtag sponsorship available if you want to. That is very, um, that is yeah, very true. Yeah, um, but no, no, no. I, I mean, I thought that I really like Dead Kids. Uh, even just like the way it was lit and some of the shots and everything it was made for I'm assuming like a fairly low budget but like uh, the different very very creative use of different sets mm. everything like that uh, the young cast were all very good but it, you know it moves quite fast it's a nice nice pace for everything good film man I liked it I know that The Farewell is coming out on UK uh, nice DVD film. and Blu-ray I enjoyed The Farewell very much man very yeah, nice I mean, I mean uh, it was one of Ace and Kick's top films of last year number three so, what was number one? Parasite, obviously. Uh, okay, we'll do. We'll come later. back to that. We'll come back to that. And I like no, I, I like mm. the farewell. It was a very nice film. I thought um, Aquafina. Oh, yeah. She was excellent in that film. Really good. Uh, and I thought the writing. It's just a lo- his writing is nice. It's it's a nicely nice. paced film. It is. It's interesting. In it. it's. It, I mean, it's kind of a, a US film. Most of it is actually in. Well, that, yeah, and that, that's kind of the key to actually having that. Uh, I mean, you know, speaking myself, kind of working in like co production for a few years is in, impossible almost. But, you know, they, they did a fantastic job to actually you know, get the Western Chinese culture into it's one. Very, film. very genuine in its depiction 100%. of the, the town that, that, that she comes from, uh, her family comes yeah. from. Uh, but also this depiction of Asian American in their case, uh, yeah. you know, and, and it's very much I think on on that kind of wave of there is stuff, you know, it's a kind of the, the positive of kind of crazy rich Asians effects and fresh off the boat or and things. That, <laughs> well, not maybe that, uh, but you know, we hate each other. <laughs> I know, I told you, no, I completely. But, I totally but you know agree. that there are these stories that can be told, Absolutely. and then, you know, it could be American Asians, but British Asians as well. But you mm. know, of that culture, but actually, really interesting, and are actually interesting enough to be put on as uh, you know, be cinema releases to be. 
I think, I mean, with this film as well. Mainstream uh, releases. I, mean, uh, I think this is one of the things where it kind of, uh, I, I always say it kind of highlights the uh, influence of film festivals and other people as well. I mean, we had like the, the farewell at like Sundance and then you know, all the mad buzz around it and everything. That's kind of like a big seal of approval. And like you say, it is kind of, you know, it's a, you know, culturally at least, you know, it, it's having that kind of thing, which it, it brought out a lot of audiences. Like uh, I would say people like, um, not being cynical, like uh, the Guardian readers, independent readers who don't who pretend to watch like foreign language films but don't really, and I think this kind of brings <laughs> them out. No, it's true, man. Yeah. But th- this brings them out, and, it, and it's genuinely a warm story. It's a very human. It's a story. lovely story. Yeah. It's a really lovely story. You know, as it's I say, really nice the, 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 uh, built on a you know on a true lie, based That's on a true, true lie, and and then you get the you know I mean. Spoiler it's so nicely thing. made as yeah. well. I mean, the, the, I think uh, a lot of what we're getting for that film is still oh, awkward for you as performance, which is dope. It's a good performance. But I think Lena Lulu Wang, her directing in that is amazing. Some of the, mm. you know, the way she uh, differentiates some of the scenes and the lighting of it, it's, well, it's, it's very well shot, you know, in comparison with something like Crazy Rich Asians, which was... The, it was it's crazy rich Singaporean Asians, but yeah. It's and I think that was the distinction, and that's why it didn't really ride very well in mainland China. Well, they're um, shooting the next two sequels in mainland China. So interesting. Okay, so one thing we should say is about um, you know we are as we've said before we are both members of the Chinese Visual Festival team, and we've got some really exciting screenings coming up for Chinese New Year. That's true. James, would you like to kind of talk about some of the films we're screening and where we're screening them? Oh uh, yeah, I mean we're we're like touring around the whole UK. Uh, mm, this, which is yeah. which is a first for us. We've done some we've done some cities before, but never like never like this. No, well you're right. <laughs> I mean it's all it's covering all of four cities. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, big for us. That is big for us. No, I mean <laughs> it's pretty rad, man. We have uh, so in London we have uh, like uh, the Wild Goose Lake with our good friends at Mubi. Mm. We have at the BFI we have uh, Sammy Yam's uh, Little Q, where he you know it was a big hit. He has a you know, he's blind. He has a guide dog. Mm. We have All's Well and Well, one of the also like biggest Absolute classics. classics of. What's the cast list? So we've got Leslie Chow, Leslie Chow, Chow um, Stephen Chow, Stephen Chow, and others, and others, and many others. I mean, it is a, it's a but it's one. Of, it, it, it was is, the one yeah. kind of kicked off the whole lunar year craze. Uh, but we're also doing the uh, Four Springs documentary, which I know is a big favorite that uh, Andy has. I love it's, it. I love it. It's uh, really. It's a very. You're, I almost want to use the word cute, but in the right way, <laughs> because the couple that yeah. are, are central to it are just the cutest. I mean, I, I wish they were my. It's parents. moving. They are the, the cute. You know, they're lovely. They're it's all very, very supportive. Yeah. Uh, but it is moving as well. But they're it's very supportive. Very Beautifully done. Yeah, it's so it's, it's really. It's it's it's, 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 it's such an so well done. I think I, I I would say it's one of the kind of best. And that's what it's one of the weird things. Like when it got released in China, it was getting backed by all the major Chinese stars. Everything were uh, trending on what I've called social media. You know, it, it was dope, man. But, um, but yeah, we're we're doing that as well. Uh, we're also doing like um, the Wrath of Silence as well, which is you know came out a year or so ago. But that's a mm. uh, decent for the. It's got a really fantastic electronic key kind of score actually. It's a nice score, but somebody it's, somebody needs to get back to that and release it. And it's just one of those <laughs> things. Like uh, I, I kind of wish China would make more of these kind of like genre films that you know get. We we always worry about like a Chinese censorship everything, but this film, 
I know there's like shows that it's very possible to make like a really good solid you know it's still very gritty mm. and like kind of, yeah like you say don't score like a thriller <laughs> yeah. oh, but anyway we're in London Glasgow Edinburgh and Lewis which is not oh, Brighton but it's, it's not Brighton, Brighton but it's quite close <laughs> so if you have to go to Brighton that's fine I'm sure there's trains they're always trying. <laughs> so that brings us to the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Next episode, we will be doing a Parasite special, which will be including my interview with the, dare I say, iconic Sun Kang Ho. You do? Yeah, he I is. I mean, uh, he is. He is. I mean, who else are you going to talk about? And we will be looking at the film in detail and doing a review of the film and also... The impact on whatever we think that is. So don't miss out. Subscribe to our podcast now via your favourite platform, be that iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or whatever. And remember, you can always find us on eastonkicks.com and all the usual social networks, Facebook, Twitter, and so on. Let us know what you think about the podcast, uh, but please don't be too harsh. This is our very first podcast. <laughs> um, so, you know, we're new to I, this. You know, it's fine. Be, be harsh. We don't actually, it'll be okay. Constructive. Constructive criticism. criticism. <laughs> Always good. <laughs> and if you think there's anything we should cover in future, let us know. We'll be very welcome. Brother. Very welcome. Thanks. And so, good Here, night to you. Cheers. You. Here's to you.